many. I, evidently, there's a football game on or something tonight. I don't know. Something like that. But praise the Lord for those who choose church. Amen. That's a good thing. Uh, and then there's the snow and the cold, so a few less people. My biggest fan, my lovely wife, says to keep this short and sweet tonight. So you can tell her great spirituality there. And uh, we'll <laughs> I'm sure everybody else uh, is probably in agreement. But Acts 15... Just to review, uh, we have been, uh, have, we've seen Judaizers come into the church. They are determined to enslave the Gentile converts by living a life of Jewish ritual. And so they're adding to salvation, which is a heresy. They were false teachers. One of the most awful things you can do to the gospel is to add to salvation. In fact, Paul said that if anyone adds to the gospel that he preaches, let them be accursed. And that is a strong statement, and yet that's a serious thing to change salvation. And so they imagine the shockwaves that was going through the Gentile <coughs> segment of the church. All of a sudden, they're a second-class citizen. They have to become like the Jews so that they become saved. They played, these false teachers played like they represented the Jerusalem church, with which James was the pastor of that church. Now, the false teachers later were renounced by the, by the uh, apostles, but that makes no difference now. Uh, that's one of the problems with church dissenters, is so often the damage is done uh, before the truth can come in and uh, make a difference. So, the dissenters do all the damage they can uh, as soon as they can, and that's what was happening. Paul and Barnabas immediately locked horns with them, the debate would have confused the church and discouraged many in the church. <clears throat> and during this time, the church is completely and wholly ineffective. You do not see any talk here about uh, further plans for missionary activity. You don't see any record of souls being saved during this time in Antioch. And that is exactly, of course, what Satan wants. Uh, it is his response to Paul's evangelism. When you're doing... Uh, what Paul was doing in Barnabas and winning people to Christ and the church is growing, then he wanted to do whatever he could to paralyze the church with strife, to create a division, that is by turning believer against believer, and put the church on the defensive. And evangelism <coughs> essentially came to a halt here because conflict, which is one of Satan's favorite tactics against the church, often serves to stop the church from going forward. And you don't have to imprison the church leaders if you can make the church impotent because of what happens within it. And so this was a big problem. And they knew they had to deal with it. They had to settle this once and for all. And so they plan a conference in Jerusalem to set this matter to rest. And last week or <coughs> last time we had uh, Acts that we were talking when we had missionary last week, but week before we were talking about this and we went through that conference up to the point of where James spoke. We saw that Peter spoke, uh, went through all that he said last time, won't redo it, but his conclusion is found in verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. That was it. Salvation was by grace, not of the law. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is getting something we do not deserve. The law says, do this and thou shalt live. Grace says, live and do this. That's the difference. And I like that difference, don't you? Law put the load on man. 
Grace puts the load on Jesus Christ. And so Peter made that clear. And then Barnabas and Paul speak. And then tonight we get to where James speaks. And we're going to start at verse number 13. <clears throat> and after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at first, at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That, at the, resid that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. We're seeing a little prophecy here as well, what's going to happen. But uh, I want to just get into what James says tonight. Won't get through the whole thing I probably, but uh, talk about a few things that might uh, be a help to us. So Father, we thank you for the time. We pray now in these moments that you would help us as we look at this, your word, in Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned last time, James was a legalist uh, to some extent. He would, uh, we're not, but not saying he was, uh, he proves here he's not a legalist in the true form, but he leaned toward legalism, you could say. He was a very austere man, uh, and he would have been someone that the, uh, the Judaizers had a lot of faith in that he would stand with them. Paul might have felt the moment's doubt when James stood and the crowd hushed. Uh, the, the meeting had been a disaster so far for the Judaizers because Peter had thrown in with Paul. Uh, this was basically them against Paul. James was their last hope. And so he starts out, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles and take out of them a, a people for his name. James discerned an interesting fact in Peter's visit to the house of Cornelius that God was at work among the Gentiles, calling out of the Gentile world a people for him. Now that's important, because uh, what's he talking about here? Uh, he is talking about the local church, we'll get that in a minute, but he starts out, he speaks of the word of God, verse 15 and 16, and to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruin, ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now, God's present purpose in the world is to call out from among all the nations His ecclesia, the church. That's the word in the New Testament for the church. After that, God will turn His attention to the tabernacle of David. James is quoting here from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through verse 12. Amos is talking about the sifting of the nation of Israel among all the nations, the prosperity of the millennial earth, the permanence of Israel regathering in their land. And uh, James did not, interestingly, quote Old Testament prophecies that talk about the conversion of the Gentiles. You would think that at this point, James would start trotting out all these verses talking about how God has planned for the Gentiles to get saved as well. That's been done. He is now doing a very wise thing here. Uh, he is trying to uh, put his Jewish listeners at ease. Yes, God is at work calling out the church, the ecclesia, but that does not mean that he has forgotten his promises to the nation of Israel, David in particular. God is still going to restore 
the ruined tabernacle of David. He's going to reestablish the Davidic rule over the nations. But everything hap happens in its own order. Look at the words, after this, it says there. Uh, he'll do that after this. Uh, until then, God's building his church. We are in the new dispensation, uh, what I always call the church age, and uh, James knew that and is basically telling these people that. The Jewish plans are going to happen. All that God said will happen, uh, but that has to happen in its time. It might be postponed, but it has not been canceled. In verse 18, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. God was not taken by surprise by Jewish unbelief. Uh, he foreknew their rejection of Christ. He used it to bring it uh, to the church, or bring in the church. The church age has superseded the kingdom age. Kingdom prophecies will still be fulfilled, but in the meantime, prophecies of the Gentiles coming to salvation are being fulfilled. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And then he goes on in verse 19, Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. So there it was. There is a statement for Paul against the Judaizers. The Gentiles were free. Uh, the Holy Spirit had worked his will. The men had agreed and disagreed and fought and argued. The Holy Spirit had overruled to bring about his own perfect will. Jews and Gentiles were one in Christ. And if I can just take a moment and remind you again how monumental this was at that time. I mean, today it means nothing to us. We understand. I mean, we, we're in, a, in an era where uh, supposedly we don't look at the color of skin and we don't look at the uh, people's origins and nationalities. We understand people are people. Anybody can get saved. But this, not, that wasn't the time here. This was a huge change and shift in their thinking. James had ridden above his prejudices to embrace the Gentile believers as members of the body of Christ. From this point on, <clears throat> the reception of believers into the church and into fellowship was the same for all, Gentiles and Jews. The Jews were not to give the Gentiles a hard time about Jewish ritual. That's what he meant by, we trouble not them. You don't go around telling them they have to be circumcised. You don't go around telling them they have to do certain things uh, to, to be able to come into the church to get saved. They are as we are. It was one of James's finest moments, I believe. Paul, as a converted Pharisee, could appreciate what it cost James to take that stand. But a man that's in touch with the Holy Spirit could take no other stand. Look at verse number 20 as we continue. <clears throat> But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication <clears throat> and from things strangled and from blood. There was another side to the coin. To smooth the social harmony between the Jew and the Gentile, <clears throat> not only do we have some expectations from the Jews, we also have some expectations from the Gentiles. Gentiles should be prepared to also take some measures. It was no longer a question of the law, but there is a question of love. Gentiles must not behave in a way that is inconsiderate to the Jewish person. I love the, the James is just right down the middle here, recognizing that both sides have to give a little bit here. And he puts his finger on several areas of concern. Number one, 
we see a spiritual issue when he says that they abstain from pollutions of idols. Now, pollution could be caused by eating unclean food, unclean meat. Much of the meat for sale in Gentile markets had been ritually offered to idols. To eat meat like that, although we understand it means nothing if it was set, I mean, as long as it's not spoiled, if it's set behind, before a stone idol, nothing he can do to hurt it, all right? So we understand that that's not, doesn't matter, but to a, in Jewish eyes, this would be akin to idolatry. So the Gentiles should remember that, is what James is saying. Then there was a moral issue. The Gentiles must abstain from fornication. Uh, many of them were brought up in societies that had a wide tolerance for sexual sins. We see that through the book of 1 Corinthians. And God's moral law had to be obeyed. This was not a matter of legalism. This is a matter of righteousness. And James is reminding them of that. There's no give and take when it comes to God's moral law. Liberty is not license. More than, on that in just a moment. And then there was a ritual issue. The Gentiles should abstain from eating the meat of animals that had been strangled. They should abstain from eating blood. Eating blood was forbidden because... The life of the flesh is in the blood, the Bible says in Leviticus 17. And then also the blood belongeth on God's altar, Leviticus 17, 10 through 13. Again, this, uh, this that James is saying is given to make fellowship easier between the Jews and the Gentiles. Is it applicable today? I don't believe so. I don't think this is a, except for the fornication part, let's agree that that's apply, we apply that today. But on this other part, uh, was really more of a fellowship issue, not a moral issue. And it's a good guide for us uh, to realize that we do not do things to cause a brother to stumble. That's really what James is talking about here. Uh, we often make a mistake of saying, bless God, I can do such and such if I want to. I have liberty. Well, liberty is not licensed to do whatever we want. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. We don't uh, demand our rights as a Christian, say we have the liberty to do what we want to do and it doesn't matter who gets offended or who gets hurt. We need to have love ought to trump liberty. I'll give you an example. Uh, I've probably given this before several times because it's a hilarious story, but my, soon after we left the Amish, my dad was working in Hannibal, Missouri, giving horse and buggy rides on the Mark Twain clopper to uh, uh, tourists that were coming into the town of Hannibal for Tom Sawyer's hometown there, and a lot of tourists came through. And so he gave rides, and Grandpa loved to go with us. So one of us boys would go with Dad, and then Grandpa would often go with us. And he played his guitar. People loved him. He still had his white beard and his straw hat and his Amish clothes, and he would sing and play the guitar and just have a grand old time. One of the things that he did, it was a little embarrassing for us, is he did trash can diving once in a while. And one day he found a, a, a couple of wine bottles and he made his own juice at home, nothing alcoholic, nothing like they made sassafras tea and watermelon juice and different things. Well, he found these bottles and he thought, this was perfect. And so he took them home, he boiled them and cleaned them, made sure they were all 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 right, and filled them with his concoctions. And the next day, he comes to work, or to town with us, and he has his stuff in these wine bottles. And, of course, I'm appalled. I mean, I'm 12 years old and wise and in the ways of the world, and so 
I say, Grandpa, you can't go around drinking. You're going to sit there on a park bench and drink out of this wine bottle? No, they don't know what's in it. And so, you know, you, you shouldn't do that. It's a bad testimony. And so he said, oh, I, I get it, I get it. So he fixed it. And we got there, and, and then I saw him down the road a little bit. He's sitting on a park bench. He's playing his guitar, and he's got that wine bottle, only he's got it in a paper bag wrapped around the outside of it to fix it, to make sure that nobody would think anything wrong. And we're like, you can't do that either. Now, I have a question, though. Does he, does he have the liberty to do that? Yeah. He can say, nothing wrong with this. It's not alcohol. If it offends you, that's your problem. No, it's not. Love trumps liberty. Sometimes we do things for the sake of testimony and so that we don't cause a brother to stumble. In fact, love restrains liberty in three different areas I want to bring out. My liberty, if it would hurt another Christian. Romans 14.1, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. <laughs> Love that verse. If you're a vegetarian, you're weak. That's what the Bible says right there. One who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. <coughs> you know what that tells me? If I go to somebody's house who's a vegetarian, I don't bring a steak. All right? I eat salad. It's okay. It's not going to kill me. You understand what I'm saying? We, we don't go out of our way to be offensive to people. And so, if my liberty would hurt another Christian, then love will restrain that liberty. I believe this is one of the things James is talking about here. Secondly, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And verse number 16. <coughs> the Bible says, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So, number one, when my liberty would hurt another Christian. Secondly, if my liberty would hinder God's work. We, we had better be careful that if we as Christians ever start to demand our rights. You know, the only right that you and I have is really to burn in hell forever. That's the only right we have. And we ought to be understand that our liberty, uh, we, our love sometimes will restrain our liberty. Thirdly, when my liberty would keep someone from being saved, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many. Why? That they might be saved. So what do we do? We ought to have a kind of testimony. We ought to live in such a way as not to offend uh, somebody or keep somebody from getting saved. And uh, so that sometimes means we set our liberty aside and we, have, uh, we, we make sure our testimony is clear. Does that make sense? I hope that that, that uh, I think that that is much of what James is talking about here in Acts 15 
when he's telling these folks, listen, I don't care if it's not a big deal to you to eat blood. Don't eat blood. Okay? Because it's going to be offensive to your Jewish brethren. So we're taking away this giant restriction out of your life. We're giving you all this freedom. Now, in turn, why don't you respect the, the Jewish believers? And we're not asking you to get circumcised or not attaching this to salvation. But James has just given them some instruction, and uh, I think it was a wise move on his part. He then, uh, verse 21, brings Moses into the picture, which was a smart move as well, because they uh, so revered Moses. We see how many times the Pharisees threw Moses in Jesus' face, and uh, they were constantly trying to trap Jesus up with the words of Moses. And so James aware of that pharisaical attitude, <coughs> played the peacemaker here again. And then in verse 22, is uh, I, we'll, we'll stop there tonight and we'll take up that next time, uh, but I'm going to, uh, we'll talk about the different people that now carry the message, and I think this is a, another very wise move by the apostles, but as we kind of wrap this up tonight, I just want to again remind you how, monumental this was and how serious they took it to follow the Holy Spirit to the point to get to the, get to the place where they realize there's no difference, Gentile, Jew, there's no difference when it comes to the foot of the cross, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and what a blessing that is to us. You know, we're recipients of this decision, really. We today are recipients to the decision that was made at this conference in Acts 15. Now, they were following the leading of the Holy Spirit, I believe, uh, but uh, praise God for apostles, for preachers, for men of God in that day that were sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and let us make sure that we are as eager to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as they were. Amen? Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time we had to uh, take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of you. Thank you for the challenge in Scripture <clears throat> of the reminder that we have of the testimony that we have is so important. And help us, Lord, to uh, use our time this week to make an impact for you and affect someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray now you'd be with us the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. God bless you. Until Wednesday, you're dismissed.